This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 375. As an investor and a businessman, one of the most important things we can do is like still continue to pay our vendors on time and also pay our investors on time because I don't want to come out of this known as the guy that called his hard money lenders and asked for 12 months forgiveness. I want to be the guy that was like, oh, damn, when everything shut down, we did work for Justin and he still paid us. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. What's up, David Green? Another day in quarantine. Quarantine for green. It's been, I haven't left my house in like four days, but we are taking advantage of this time to create some great content for bigger pockets fans. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of that stuff, a lot of video crea- creation, Facebook, Instagram live stuff. And speaking of live stuff, today's show was actually recorded live. And what I mean by that is we did a, we're doing a call in show. So today we're bringing in both like expert guests who are going to jump in and offer their perspective and questions from the community itself. So we did a actual Facebook live. Hundreds of people were there. It was awesome. We recorded it just a couple days before this episode now is coming out. Uh, We recorded on Monday, March 23rd, and it's got a lot of up-to-date just information and conversation. So uh, make sure you guys listen all the way through this. But before we actually bring in the actual uh, guests onto today's show, and there's a bunch of them, let's get to today's quick tip. Hey, this is my quick tip. As people are going through quarantine and social distancing and all that, remember that it's it's easy to get lost in this world of I'm just on my phone all day and I'm just watching TV all day. Here's what I want to encourage you guys to do is this is coming from somebody who's worked from home for years and years and years. You've got to build structure into your life. And what I mean by that is like, like, Grab a journal. Wait, if you have like a journal, like the Bigger Pockets journal, or just a piece of paper, like what's your schedule? Like, what are you still going to get done? Get your checklist. Get your here's what I'm going to accomplish today. Don't just like let the next month of your life just go by and like just blur. You know, like that weird blur between like Christmas and New Year's every year. It's just like, what am I doing? It's 10 a.m. and I'm still in my pajamas. Like that is just going to make you depressed and sad and lonely and whatever. Like, act like you're going to work. Get up. Get your coffee. Get to work and have something, some structure in your day. That's my quick tip. Anyone yeah, and don't gain a whole bunch of weight. How about that one too? I've been mm-hmm. seeing all these yeah. memes about people that are like, they're just <laughs> snacking all day because there's nothing to yeah. do. So I'll add on to the quick tip. What I've been doing is if I'm watching TV out at the commercials, I get up and I do some kind of exercise. You do air squats, my- you do push-ups, you do sit-ups, you do... Yeah. Uh, I've, I've uh, done like shrimp drills, like the stuff Brandon should be practicing when he's at jujitsu. Anything to like keep your blood flowing because it really does work. If you're exercising and blood's going to your brain, you'll feel more enthusiastic. You'll feel pumped up. You get out of that sluggish state of, you know, what am yeah. I doing with myself? Yeah, very good. That's a good quick tip. That's a, like a double quick tip. Double quick Ooh, tip. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to today's show. Like I said, it's a long, good, amazing episode full of a lot of different insight and perspective and questions uh, that you're probably asking as well. So we're going to cover all that stuff today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself. 
personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. And now it's time. Let's get to today's interview with a whole lot of people. All right. So hello, everybody. And thanks for chiming or joining in today. Chiming in today. Thank you for joining us on this. Today is a, is a, this is an actual recording of the Bigger Pockets podcast that's going to be uh, coming out this week. But if you're watching this right now live on our Facebook page, Bigger Pockets Facebook page, uh, we're going to do some uh, a call-in show. That's right, like a radio call-in show. You can actually call in or technically uh, use your computer to come into the conversation. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that's even done technology-wise, but Kevin and Nikki, both in Bigger Pockets, are in the ch- chat area right now on Facebook that they can hook you up with information on how to actually know what the next step is. But basically, we're going to talk today, we're going to talk through this pandemic and how it, uh, I guess, involves real estate or how real estate should be able to be navigated through this pandemic. And obviously we don't have all the answers. This thing is changing every single day, but we thought it'd be great as a community to come together to talk through what other people are doing, what we're doing. Uh, And we're going to actually start here 
bringing in our buddy, Justin Stamper. You guys might remember him from episode. I think it was, well, Justin, what episode was it of the podcast you were on? 201 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Well, thank you for joining us today again. And uh, this is Justin from Zombie House Flipping also, which is an awesome show. I remember listening to that show before I was the actual host. And and I was just uh, like one of the people Brandon was dating. Uh Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, we are all in an open relationship with Brandon at this point. Yes. I knew it. I knew it's it. 2020, man. That's off. You know. Justin, yeah, I gotta ask you, because this is my first time seeing you. Have you always looked like a clone of Brandon, or is this a new <laughs> thing that you put together just for the podcast? That's a good question, man. You know how like people say you start to look like your dog, you know, dogs look like their owners. Yeah, it's the same when you're in like open relationship <laughs> with Brandon. It's just how it goes, dude. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So all right, now that Brandon is blushing and completely now, off of his game, <laughs> think yeah. of something off the cuff, Brandon. Make it good. I will. Hey, Justin, let's talk about your real estate because you you've done real estate in a number of ways. You flip houses. You own rentals. You own a re- couple restaurants. So you're in the business side of things. You also have some Airbnbs, and uh, you're down in the Florida market. So I want to know. First of all, what are you seeing right now? Let's just start with that. With where you are. What are you seeing in your real estate investing right now? What's going on? Uh, okay. So Orlando, my main market, uh, we are so tourism and travel driven that COVID has really cost us. So like shut down essentially in the city, all of our restaurants are closed. Uh, We can only allow takeout delivery. Hotels are shutting down. I have a couple Airbnbs that like were booked almost every single day in March that like instantly overnight, it seemed like all of our uh, bookings got canceled since then we've like modified and both units are actually occupied right now as we speak. Um, but that was like only due to like circumstances and also like adjustments. We're, we're shut down, man. Um, so I just had a meeting with SVG Media, the company that handles all of our like online branding exposure and whatnot, because we also have a real estate brokerage here. So they handle a lot of our like behind the scenes internet stuff. And we just had like a uh, six foot distance apart meeting on what our strategy is for, uh, you know, quarter two, three, four of this year. And kind of the biggest thing that we're thinking right now is like raise capital and kind of sit on the sidelines and see what happens because we don't know where the bottom is. Yeah, We do know that, that people are super affected. The other day I went through, uh, cause I reached out to all my tenants in central Florida just to make sure everybody's good. Like, Hey, do you guys have supplies? How are you doing? Et cetera. That's and smart. by going through doing that, I also realized that every single tenant I have is service industry. So we're going to have a crazy wave as landlords because we're going to have a lot of tenants that cannot pay their rent coming up soon, as well as some of my notes that I have on these properties, they're private notes. So private notes need to get paid there. I doubt private lenders are going to be doing like a forgiveness like the banks are, you know, the banks are letting you, I heard today that you can defer payments up to a year and they're not going to process any new foreclosures. That probably isn't the case with hard money lenders. Um, Right now, you know, it's kind of make sure that we're not bleeding. So we went through all of our finances this uh, last week and we stopped some like subscription based things that are no longer being used. Um, You know, just like find where you're bleeding and stop that. Because in my opinion, the most important thing we can do right now, aside from like be a community, stick together and quarantine so we can beat this as an investor and a businessman, one of the most important things we can do is like still continue to pay our vendors on time 
and also pay our investors on time because like I don't want to come out of this known as the guy that called his hard money lenders and asked for 12 months forgiveness. Like I don't want that reputation. I want to be the guy that was like, oh damn, when everything shut down, we did work for Justin and he still paid us. You know, I just put a new roof on a house uh, last week on the spot, $15,000 check. I mean, obviously I don't want to write that right now, but at the same time, I respect my roofers and I still want to do business with them. So right now we're like consolidating, trying to keep like a bird's eye view on it. I hope a lot of, and I think people are like, if they're listening to this, like they're obviously like engaged uh, and trying to see what's going on. But what I'm also seeing a lot of is like people giving wild financial advice on Instagram and Facebook and like telling people like, the, now's the time you need to get in and like, look at these Forex moves we're making. Look at what we're doing here. Like, get involved, get, and I'm like, no, that's bad advice, man. Don't tell that to people right now. Like people need to, I'm not saying like everybody needs to shut down, but you don't want to get, you don't want to catch a falling knife and that knife hasn't hit the ground yet. So I think for us, what we're doing is just trying to stay involved, trying to stop the bleeding and keep a bird's eye view on things, but definitely not rushing to buy any new rehabs right now because our market went from being like one of the hottest markets in America, sell a house day one on the MLS to now who even knows who's even looking at houses at the moment. So we don't want to get caught paying prices that might've been fine a month ago that in two or three months, it could be not saying it's going to be 2009 all over again, but I don't know, man. So in my advice, the best thing and what I've been telling my team is like, we'll survive, but we don't need to rush to get involved in anything new at the moment. We just need to make sure we don't have any loose ends that are going to accidentally sink us if we have to carry on for six months just on the sidelines. Well, I really like the point you made about going through your finances right now. Like that's a great thing people should be doing right now is going through their finances and saying, hey, where like, b- before it was kind of like, ah, the market's going crazy. Everything's going up and up, you know, like, yeah, get that extra subscription service, get that thing, pay for this thing, do whatever you want. And now it's a good time to go, whoa, 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 let's let's conserve cash a little bit here and make sure we can we can weather this thing. And so. Yeah. OK. So, hey, quick question from the audience. Somebody asked, what markets are you actually in right now, Justin? So I am in Central Florida, Cleveland, Ohio, and the Tampa Bay area. So those are like the three markets that I focus on. We have a pretty decent sized rental portfolio in Cleveland that are a lot of good, like just cash flow properties in just like blue collar neighborhoods, such as like Brooklyn. Um, and then in Central Florida, uh, I'm super involved with um, like transacting real estate. We have a brokerage here that has, I think we have like 11 agents with us. I have like a semi-decent sized rental portfolio here. Uh, and a lot of them are like hipster, trendy neighborhoods. A lot of like just expensive property, but they rent high. And also it's a big appreciation play. Orlando is a good like appreciation play with rentals. You don't have like the crazy you know, 20% ROIs that you can in like cash flow areas, but you can have like massive appreciation because neighborhoods change and grow here pretty rapidly. And then Tampa Bay, I have some commercial buildings down there and two restaurants. And I'm also building like my rental portfolio down there as well. So those are like the three markets that I'm in. Um, and they're, they're great markets. You know, I really enjoy Florida, but COVID's got it shut down. And co- Florida's tough because we have a huge 
65 and over population. You know, this is literally where America comes to retire. And we're also tourism and travel and hospitality driven. So not only is it like super dangerous because we have a old population, but also everybody is like, I don't want to say out of work because we don't know what that looks like yet, but people are definitely paused on work. So Florida is getting hit hard. So who knows what's going to happen with the market. But at the end of the day, and this is what I keep telling my staff that have been like paranoid, we're going to get through this, man. Like we're Americans. Don't bet against America. It's a bad bet. So things, I don't want to say things are going to go right back to normal right off the rip, but we're not going to get destroyed from this. It's not like we're not going to come back. People are still going to come here. They're still going to go to Disney World. Now, granted, Disney World's closed at the moment for like the first time ever, but that's to be smart and like flatten the curve as quick as possible, which is the main goal at the moment. All right. Next question. Nick Biangel Jr. This is a really good question. Should I be worrying about the ARV for flips and burrs? Because we're assuming prices are going to be dropping. I mean, I would. Now, granted, if you bought it right, you should still be able to get out because I don't think we're going to lose 50% value like we did last recession. But I could see like a 20% pullback, especially in the like next upcoming quarters when like things are still like adjusting. I could see a lot of like pullback. And also there might be a flood of inventory soon. I don't know. But, you know, when people do panic, they make, you know, brash decisions. So you might have landlords that couldn't collect rent that now are like just super frustrated. They just want to dump their houses. You might have people that like panic sell. You, you You just don't know. But hopefully, you know, if you are buying houses to flip, you already have your like 30% built in. And I don't think we would have a 30% pullback. That would be a massive, massive pullback. Yeah, I would, I would hope not. I would definitely, yeah, just being just more conservative than usual on all those things. Like if you're trying to do a burr right now, trying to do a flip and having the backup plan, you know, I'm like, I mentioned on the podcast last week, I'm in the middle of like buying a flip right now Uh, and I'm still going forward with it. We're still going to buy it. But I think there's a very real possibility that I'm not going to be able to make money on that flip. And I'm still going to do it because, I mean, this sounds like a stupid reason, but the lady who I'm buying it from has to sell this to be able to 1031 on a deal she's closing like next week. So she like I again, I'm not trying to like this is not like humble brag and look how good brand it is. But like I just feel bad that she wouldn't be able to close. And so I'm going to close because I believe because here's the point I'm making. I can rent it out and about break even. Is what what I think. I ran the numbers. It looks like I got about break even. I might lose a little bit, but again, I'm betting on I'm betting on Maui and I'm betting on America that ten years from now, even if I did buy, I mean, I I would never tell somebody to buy property and lose money on it. But even if over time, because of repairs and maintenance, I end up losing a little bit of money on this property. At least ten years down the road, I'm betting that American real estate is still going to be better off today than it is before. In fact, David, you're the one that convinced me this when I bought my house here in Maui was twenty years from today. Is that house in Maui with an ocean view going to be better than? than it is today. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess like, I think that's a safe bet to make. So again, having that backup plan is what I'm working on. What's yeah. the scenario look like where you, you rent it out for a year. Now you're not short-term capital gains. Then you sell yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. You have a much better, right? Like if you that's lost a $200 a month, how much would yeah. you save in capital gains? Dude, I never, that's, I never thought of that. That is such a good thought. Dude, I might even just not, like right now, just you saying that makes me think I'm, I might not even try to flip it. I think I might just buy it and just plan from day one, I'm going to rent this thing out for a year. And by then we should be sorted through all this stuff. And then I'm going to save more on taxes than I would have saved on. Then I'm, yeah, that's a great idea. 
Totally. That's the, that, that outside the box thinking really comes into play when you're in an economy like this because you can't just do what was always done. Yeah. So I, one complaint I hear a lot of people say about the Burr method is they're like, well, I have to wait six months in order to get this loan. So I don't want to wait six months. Or what do I do if the ARV comes in really low? Well, Burr is a principle. There's nothing that says it has to be done in a two-month window. There's a property that you could buy, add value to, rent it out for three years. Then when you need capital and it's appreciated for three years, you go refinance it then. There's nothing that says it has to be done at this rapid-fire rate. Now, that rapid-fire rate has worked really well in a rising economy. But if you understand the principles that we're talking about here, you don't have fear, right? The fear comes from, wait, that's not what we always did. It's changing. Now what do I do? When you understand the principles, Brandon just says, okay, I'm going to pivot. I'll hold it for a year. Is Maui real estate going to tank in a year? It would take like an incredibly strong systemic problem with our economy before Hawaiian real estate is going to be significantly affected, right? What we're looking at here, at least based on current data, is some months of reduced income and people not spending money as much, not a like absolute crash of the entire economy. So there's no reason for him to panic. And I would think in almost every situation that we encounter for, you know, this show and for other shows, if you, if you zoom out and do what Brandon did and look at it from a 20 year period, answers will become apparent. And then all of a sudden the anxiety will go away. Justin, can you share a little bit about like what you've been doing in your business specifically with moves that like small pivots that you're making to get through this? Yeah. Okay. So, um, One that I wanted to elaborate on, and when Brandon and I were talking, when we went live a couple nights ago, I was talking about how my Airbnbs, you know, they got crushed for a second, but a big pivot that we made. And like I was telling Brandon, I got like 90 DMs about this, and I actually pulled it up on my phone to share with the people that are listening. So there are traveling nurses and doctors that are going to be going all around the country. They already do when there's not a pandemic. But at the moment, they're going to be going all over the place. So places like Orlando, especially, we don't have the tourism that's bringing people here. But we definitely have the like elderly population that's going to need assistance that are going to be bringing nurses and doctors here. So here, for the people listening that want to know how to get involved with this, travelnursing.org is a place that you can apply. Also, furnishedfinder.com is a place you can apply as well. And these are like essentially like staffing agencies that will lit like the first day I logged that I like joined travel nursing. You pay like it's a small fee, but literally within like a couple hours, they had sent me like 15 eligible people that needed minimum 30 day up to some of them needed like six month furnished housing. And they pay higher amounts because, you know, they're renting a furnished house short term. So also some agencies that they can check out. RNVIP, Trusted Health, Cross Country Nurses, and AYA Healthcare can also, um, I sent them all emails and was like, hey, if you guys have anybody coming to Orlando, I've got a couple furnished houses that are near the hospitals, let me know. And I've been in constant contact and actually both of my Airbnbs are now booked. So Uh that is like a good move that we can like do to ensure that we still have cash flow at the moment. Which is good because actually both of my Airbnbs are also burrs and I use that short-term cash flow or I'm currently using that historical short-term cash flow to like prove the cap rate to my lenders so that I can get like an 80% refi. So that it's really important to me to not have March 
destroy that average because you can be rocking and rolling doing 5,000 a month and then you do zero in a month and that really changes what your average is. So that's a big pivot that we're doing. And also right now, I think we're kind of taking this time to get more into like trust. Now, if you think about it, everybody's at home on their phones. Now, if, if you have a business, now's a great time to like if you've been like me, I, I don't pride myself in being great with computers. I don't think I'm very good at the internet. That's just, they're not things that I'm passionate about. Therefore, I've never gotten good at them. Yeah. That being said, now is the time to do it. So I have been learning. I mean, look at us right now. We're podcasting. I can see my face on the screen. Yeah. Ooh, technology. Now's the time to like, if you have a small business, a small brand, get out there, build your Instagram, build your social media following. If you do buy houses, let people know because right now you might you might have a lot of eyes and a lot of traffic that you otherwise wouldn't. So this is a great place for people that are like, oh, I want to get started wholesaling or you know fix and flipping or whatever they want to get started. In, but nobody knows what I do. Now's the time. Like, get on Instagram, tell people what you're doing. Get on Bigger Pockets, tell people what you're doing. Talk about your goals. I think now is like a great time for people to consolidate what they're doing and really like come up with. Uh, I know, Brandon, you've been talking this a lot, like your 90-day intentions. You know, now's a great time for people to start doing the exact same thing because my advice isn't to rush in and just all of a sudden pick up a project. I I think everybody needs to sit tight on the sidelines, if possible, to see what happens. You know, it's it's like the fool that rushes in when we don't know where the bottom is, you know. That's just my two cents on it. Man, Justin, this has been really, really good information. I mean, you're you're a rock star. Obviously, you and I did a, what an hour, over an hour long Instagram live the other day. I know you've been doing more of those. So make sure you guys are following Justin. What's your in- Instagram? Yeah, so my Instagram is Flip Orlando. And my website is my name. It's justinstamper.com. I check my emails daily. Um, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. So if anybody has questions or wants advice or just to talk because you want to talk to somebody because you're in quarantine, I feel <laughs> you and I'm happy to chat. You know, so if any, we're, we're all going to get through this and we're going to get through it together. So, you know, let's all stay connected. And that's how we're going to do this. And we're going to do it smart because it's not every day that we have a, a change in a market cycle that yeah. not saying we could have planned for this one because nobody could have planned for this. But we all went through 2008, 2009. And I feel like most of the complaints I hear from people are like, oh, if I only knew what I knew now, I could have crushed well, now's the opportunity and let's do it together, but let's do it the smart way. Let's not gamble. You know, if we want to gamble, then just let's put a hundred on black, see what happens. But now's the time that we really have a chance to also solve some people's problems because a lot of people are going to need to sell their houses quickly for cash. And that's where people like us come in to solve their problems. So we can keep, you know, the gears turning of America if we all do it together. So please holler at me. I'm easy to get a hold of and I'm happy to help. Wise, wise words from Justin Stamper from Zombie House Flipping, Flip Orlando on Instagram and everywhere else. So make sure you guys check out Justin. Again, thank you, Justin, very much for coming on coming on today. Uh, we're going to bring in a few other uh, guests today. Right now, in fact, we were just talking about Airbnb a little bit. That's something that's been really popular the last few years. In fact, just uh, recently on the Bigger Pockets podcast, we brought in, uh, we interviewed Avery Carl, uh, episode 364. It was snowballing six-figure short-term rental profits into passive investments. Uh, but Avery is a real expert at Airbnb, along with other types of real estate. So uh, we're going to bring her in right now. Avery, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Thanks for coming back on. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. 
Yeah. Why don't we start with the same question we asked Justin? It's like, what are you seeing right now? What's your investments doing? Where are you at right now? What's going on? Okay. So obviously short-term rentals are being one of the hardest hit uh, types of rentals in this market. What we're seeing is that the metro areas are, especially the big ones, your New York, Chicago type markets are being hit much harder than the drive to regional markets. The fly to markets are obviously not as attractive because people don't want to go to the airport. Not to say that the drive to markets have not been hit. We had an initial wave of cancellations, just like everyone about a week and a half ago and the whole panic started. But a few days after that, we did start getting some bookings trickling in of people who are sick of being in their own homes who Mm, want to social distance somewhere else. Actually, yeah, I just saw this comment come through. It said that somebody in their, the, a friend of mine and his wife are taking advantage of Airbnb, the, the shutdown. It says they're negotiating with all the, the hosts. They're renting a, a dope house for a month of April for 80% of what it normally goes for, 80% off of what it normally goes for. Cause if they're going to social quarantine, why not do it in style? It's a, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. So what I recommend for hosts to be doing right now is to tweak your listings a little bit to make things more more attractive to people who are looking to do that. Maybe remove your maximum night stays and minimum night stays. Maybe make yourself pet friendly temporarily if you have to, you know, things like that. Uh, Make a list of all of the services that deliver to your location so that people know, okay, I can go here. I can stay away from people, but I can still get what I need to live and to work from wherever I'm working from. So Avery, what advice do you have for other Airbnb owners who maybe weren't preparing for this much of a slowdown? I know Brandon and I have talked about for the last five years, maybe Airbnb is almost like you can't miss. The target has just been so big that even people that bought wrong and didn't run their business well still made a lot of money in the Airbnb Airbnb game. But we've known things can change. Regulations can change. Cities can change how permitting works. Or an an economy going bad is going to be particularly nasty for short-term rentals. Can you share what you would be doing if you didn't have enough reserves or how you would be preparing to weather this storm? Sure. So what a number one don't recommend doing, first of all, is panic selling. Uh, (laughs) I've had a lot of my clients come to me and say, oh my God, I want to sell. I'm like, you know, just... Let's see what's going to happen first before we go nuts. Number two, another thing that I've been suggesting, and rates are kind of all over the place right now, but it can give you a little bit of extra time to think to refinance right now. Rates are pretty decent. And if you start a refinance now, close in April, your next mortgage payment isn't until June. So it does give us a little time to kind of figure out what's going on before we make any huge permanent decisions. That's, That's smart. So the refi thing is something I'm working through right now. Especially, I never thought about the delay in payment because, yeah, you kind of get that little break. So that's a that's a really interesting idea. What about like with other, I guess, other aspects of, let's go non-Airbnb right now. Uh, if, if you're just a regular rental owner right now, trying to figure out what I should do now to take, not take, you know, basically take advantage of this situation. I mean, like, should people jump in right now and start buying? Should they hold back? Like, what are you, what are you seeing and what would you, I guess, suggest? So that would depend on the investor's personal comfort level. As long as you, if you want to buy right now, as long as you have the cash reserves to make it through a couple of months, then I say go for it. But if you don't, then I might say, you know, hang on another month and let's see what happens before we go jumping in and and making big purchases. Although I did just close on a duplex last week and I'm finishing up a pretty big rehab that I'm going to put on Airbnb right in the middle of all this. So keep you posted on how that goes. Yeah, let us know there. Now, somebody did suggest, and I've seen this a few times floating around, so I think we should talk about it real quick. 
there are SBA loans, you know, small business administration loans that business owners can apply for and get, I don't even know if it's low interest or no interest. If you're an Airbnb owner or just any rental property owner, you are a business owner. That is what you are. I've even seen on, uh, on a couple documents, like specifically called out rental property owners as qualifying. Like I'm not, I'm not a lender, so I don't know, but that's something that people can look in as well as if you're at a, a, a tough time right now. Let me try that. Uh, hey, uh, a question came up from Drew McCluskey. Uh, if I'm currently renovating an Airbnb but haven't bought any of the furnishings yet, would it be wiser just to rent it out now as a long-term rental with the uncertainty? Is the long-term market more secure than Airbnb with new tenants? What do you think, Avery? Not necessarily. I, For my Airbnbs right now, they're covering their expenses, but I'm not sure what my long-terms are going to do until the first of the month. But if you, I mean, so you could really go either way. It just kind of depends on the market. What you could do if you don't want to spend your cash reserves, if you're okay with it, there are some small business loans kind of similar to what Brandon was just talking about that you can finance your furniture with. I know ClearBank is one of those that a lot of people use to furnish their Airbnbs. Uh, So it just depends on the market. If you're a big metro market, I might suggest, you know, long-term renting. But if it's in a drivable vacation rental market, then... It might be worth looking into to move forward. It just kind of depends. What do you think about combining the flexibility of the short-term rental with with the security of the longer-term rental and just renting out the rooms? If you buy a three or four-bedroom place, if you put it on Airbnb and it's for like travel or or vacation, obviously you're not going to get a lot of people selling. But my thoughts are you've got a lot of folks who are unsure if they're going to have a job for the next couple months. They don't want to sign a year-long lease that they know they can't pay. So they don't want to commit to something that big, but they still need a place to stay. What if you just do month-to-month leases on rooms inside of a property? So you're increasing the amount that you get like in a short-term rental, but you're not going after a, a travel demographic. That could definitely work in a big metro market in my vacation rental markets, it probably oh, yeah. wouldn't because people that's are expecting right. to stay by themselves. But in a metro market, I, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's interesting. Hey, hey, let me go. Let me go a couple of questions from the uh, from the audience here. Oh, interesting. Okay, we're gonna go deep on this one. Jordan asked, uh, based on okay, so Jay Scott made a comment on the last podcast about rental property investors betting on capitalism. Based on that do you guys think rental properties would still be great if the u.s moved away from capitalism in the future so that is a a a political question in other words like we're we're seeing a trend in in politics and whatever that uh, a little bit more away from just pure capitalism and a little bit more towards maybe a socialistic natured uh, government so based on that what does real estate in your opinion look like this is a deep question and I, i i know i'm springing this on you what does real estate look like in more of a socialism-driven country? I'm going to have to tap out on that question. I skipped government in college. Yeah. I'm not well, qualified to. Well, I will throw it at David because I know David's, he was, he's bubbling to answer this one, aren't I've you? I've been actually tossing this over in my head ever since like Bernie became the front runner for the Democratic Party. Like, What would happen? Because Brandon and I like to play this what-if game. We do this all the time. This is really hard for me to look into the future and think like, how would this affect real estate prices? Because there's different ways to do socialism. There's like complete communism. There's the government's going to give help with healthcare and education and maybe a housing voucher, but you still have to go to work and you make up the difference. What I tend to think is that no matter, even if we end up with a more socialistic economy, there will still be elements of capitalism that run through it. 
And if you try to have a president come in and immediately say, now we're going to be socialist, four, eight years later, we probably would be going back to capitalism at some point. You have to think like, it's not like well, if you go to socialism, you're there forever. It's more that I think socialistic elements will enter into how we do th things. And that's happening anyways. I mean, that's obviously like when the minute you start having credits for things or programs, like even in a capitalistic country like ours, we have socialistic elements. You can still get stuff cheaper because the government subsidizes it. Even the mortgage industry is subsidized, right? The reason you're getting that three 0.2% interest rate on your 30-year fixed rate loan is because of socialistic elements within our own country. I, what I think would happen is it would put a stop on how quickly houses can appreciate. And I think that it may freeze it for a time. But I think that when the pendulum swings back the other way, you're going to want to own real estate because you don't know what's going to happen to our currency with how much money we're printing. You don't know what the next politician's going to decide as far as what stance our government takes when it comes to global politics. What you do know is as long as the population is growing in America and people are wanting to come live here, which is likely to be the case for a very long time, they're going to need a place to live. And real estate is an asset class that you can control. Really, that's my favorite part. Everything we're talking about right now, Brandon, maybe you should rent it for a year and then you should sell it. Or instead of a flip, you can make it a burr. You have so much more control over that than you do with the stock market, right? Yeah. So, the, so the question of it's good to ask what would happen if there was a socialistic political environment. But the next question is, well, where else would I be putting my money? What else can I do, right? Like even if real estate isn't as appealing as it was, it's still going to be more appealing than all my other options. And I think it's wise to keep that in mind. Smart. All right, Avery. So where can people connect with you if they want to know more about what you're doing or uh, reach out, ask questions, whatever? What's the best way to get in touch? You can always find me on Bigger Pockets, uh, my website, theshorttermshop.com, Instagram at theshorttermshop. Shorttermshop. Short shop. Love it. Thanks, Avery, so much for joining us today. We're going to actually bring in a one of the listeners who's actually uh, you know watching this right now over on Facebook Live. Uh, so I think we've got Joe coming in. What's up, Joe? Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Hey, hey. How are you What's doing? Good. This is uh, this is new ground for us. We're not used to like bringing in uh, live callers like this. So that's kind of cool. Baby, number one here. How we doing? How's the tan working, Brandon? Oh my gosh, it's not uh, it's not working. Did you see my picture of me on the flamingo the other day on Instagram? It was uh, yeah. It's, Somebody uh, photoshopped your head on a flamingo. Well, no, I'm sitting on a flamingo in my pool trying to keep away from Ryan Murdoch. We're social distancing together. And uh, can we get you a really yeah. big super chicken to put in your pool? <laughs> you could try a try blow up super chicken. chicken. We can work on it. Well, hey, Joe, speaking of, uh, I got no transition there <laughs> from that. Joe, what's your question, man? What's so the, uh, I got a lot of questions. You? All right. My wife and I, who's social distancing right here. Say hi, Elizabeth. We're working. Hi, wife. We're driving here. We're downstairs, hunkered down in the basement. Kids are upstairs. We're into the real estate game hard. And basically, we found an opportunity. It was a 12-unit uh, apartment complex. Well, it's a 20-unit apartment complex that we found that got hit by the hurricane down in Panama City. Mm. And we sold off eight units, and we have 12 units. And obviously, with the hurricane, it's extensive damage, commercial roofs, new HVAC systems, tons of mold, tons of... It was a huge project. I mean, we paid like 20K a door. So we got a pretty good deal on it. They're two bedroom, one and a half bath, about a thousand square feet townhomes. And because it's, you know, got damaged by the hurricane, we can't get funding. So we've been self-funding this project since October. We got three units rented for about a thousand a month and we have one other unit ready to go, but we're just, 
this Corona thing has just totally put a break on everything. And we're just trying to figure out, cause again, we're self-funded. We have no outside funding other than like heavily leveraging every lever that we could pull. So sure. just looking for some guidance, ideas, tips, any type of knowledge for uh two long time, huge fan listeners. Awesome. Well, sorry you're going through that, man, but David, you want to start or you want me to start? Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of clarifying questions. Are you saying that only out of your 12 units, nine of them are uninhabitable because of damage from the hurricane? No, it's probably about six that are uninhabitable right now that are left. Okay. So then you've got three rented, six that are not habitable. And of the three that are, are you just having a hard time finding a tenant because of the economic environment? No, I mean, we got three, like I said, we have three rented and then four, another one ready to go. It's just, and then everyone's just getting spooked. It's, it's, uh, okay. And, I mean, tourism, it's Florida, man. It's at the beach. Right. All right. So is the bigger question how to get those three rented that are vacant or how to get the six that can't be rented fixed up without any money? I'm broke, dude. Give me some tea. Right. <laughs> here's, here's some thoughts I had while you were talking. Can you find a tenant who doesn't want to pay a ton in rent, but is very handy that you can say, Hey man, I'll give you a free place to live for three months. If you can come fix it up, let's work something out where you fix the mold, you fix this, you fix that. Show me your resume. I'll let you live there for free while you're fixing it up. And then I'll give you half off the next rent for the rest of the year or whatever. That's one idea that I thought of. Another would be what Brandon was just talking about, by the way, is your wife writing this down while we're talking? (laughs) She's diligently (laughs) co-prank. All right, cool. The SBA option that Brandon just talked about, very low interest rate loans compared to a hard money loan that you could be applying for, especially because they have like a lot of programs in place for rental property owners specifically affected by coronavirus issues where you could borrow money from them to start work on the other units. And the third one is, look, you're not the only one hurting. Contractors are hurting too. These guys were were crushing. This is the best time ever to be a contractor. Property values are rising. Everybody has money. We were all complaining. I can't find a contractor. Well, I bet you could find one now. Can you find someone that will go do the work and put themselves on a payment plan? Hey, give me a bid. It's going to be 15 grand. I'll pay you $1,000 right now and I'll pay you 400 bucks a month or 300 bucks a month for the next couple of years. And I'll refinance this, you know, three or four years later or whenever you can pay the contractors then. If they're doing nothing and they're allowed to leave their house, we may say, well, why would they do a deal when they're not going to get paid over, you know, until three years later? It's because they're doing nothing else. So that's probably the angles I'd be looking at if I was you and I was just dead broke. Like you're in that death row of real estate where you can't earn money with it because you can't rent it out, but you can't rent it out because you can't fix it up and you can't fix it up because you don't have money. You're just spiraling in this, like you got to be able to like plug that hole, stop the bleeding and the hemorrhaging and then move forward. And here's some ideas. What do you think, Brandon? Well, I was going to go and I saw the comment come in on the on the live stream as well. Uh, what about bringing in a partner? And that's generally where I move to this stuff is the idea of especially like this is an interesting one because it's like you've got all these separate townhouses kind of you could even bring in multiple partners. And I, I'm not I'm not not saying this is legally how you would do it, but. Well, what kind of fascinates me is you, if you brought in somebody and like, let's say, I mean, cause how many people have got 25 grand sitting around? Quite a few people I know have got 25 grand sitting around. So you're like, Hey man, so here's the deal. This unit, it's number 17 a, that is your unit. You and me do this together. You bring the 25 grand down and you know, we partner on this unit together and then you get 50% of all cash flow going forward. I bought the property. I took care of that part. You're going to help me do this. And then you just finish the burr. Or maybe there's one big investor comes in for the whole entire thing. And there are people that would probably do it now in this week, the next week, maybe everyone's a little bit fearful, 
But no matter which way this thing plays out, people are going to stabilize here shortly. Either we're going to stabilize in chaos, we're going to stabilize in the, uh, you know, an old norm or the new norm. But either way, like people are going to like stop freaking out at some point soon, I believe anyway. So I believe you could probably find somebody, especially if you have a good business plan. A lot of it's going to depend on how you present this. So I would make sure you spend, invest some time and effort in maybe even like trading favors with a graphic designer to put this into a nice por- like packet of information. Uh, and I would find a partner to bring it in because I say this all the time. You're never getting rich off the first deal. You're never getting rich off the 12 unit, right? The 12 unit could be good. You might make some good money off it. This ain't going to be your only deal you ever do retirement. In fact, this is just a stepping stone to the next one. So if you had to bring in some partners, the the best part of that is, especially if you brought in multiple ones, you get to see who you like working with and who you don't like working with. And maybe one of those is going to end up taking you to a thousand units later on. So I I generally jump on the partnership train, bringing in equity partners. That's kind of the way I go. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's my two cents. I don't know, man. Hope that helps them. What, let me ask you this, Joe, what are your thoughts when we say that? Because I think whatever's in your head is probably in our listeners' heads too. I mean, obviously if it's family, it's different than some random person. Like I connected when Brandon bought his, uh, one of his flips in Maui, I connected with the guys over at Kiko capital and they were super yeah. cool. Yeah. And, but they just wanted like 11, 12% plus yeah. all this. Like, uh, one of my problems is, is like, the commercial financing, I have to have all this stuff. And I have one short-term vacation rental that I flipped and I flipped or, you know, remodeled my house. Like I'm not the licensed contractor. This is my side hustle, man. I'm making calls at my other job, taking other calls for this job. So like, I'm trying to get where you guys are and I just don't have the resume, the background to kind of who here, here's what it is. And someone will trust me other than my family. Well, I would, I, this is the way I usually go with, with trying to attract like non-family money is attend local meetups. I mean, they're again, maybe the, the next couple of weeks is a bad idea, but I mean, I'm surprised there's not more people putting together large real estate meetups in areas. Maybe they are, and I don't know about it, but like on zoom or on Skype or on whatever, like there's ways to, you know, go to, go to meeting, go to webinar, you know, start attending meetups, start meeting with investors, whether it's over like zoom, Skype, whatever right now. You just got to start building relationships with people and like people are still looking for a place to put their money because there's a lot of money just dying right now. So anyway, I, I would start, start there with just reaching out and building these relationships. Like somebody will partner with you. You bring them a good enough deal and people will still want to partner with you. So again, that's, that's, I still would, I'd probably go that way. Yeah. So you, just to recap, so you're saying have someone at a fixed price, Hey, 25, $30,000, whatever you get, we split everything 50, 50, you throw in 50 or 25,000 or whatever their entry is. And then we just kind of split it out indefinitely in terms of the profits, expenses, something like that. Yeah. Or I mean, imagine like, imagine you now, I don't know that market and I don't really invest out of market, but imagine you came to me and you're like, dude, I got this deal. Like it's already locked up. Here's the numbers. I already got a bid from contractors. This is what it's going to cost to fix it up. This is what it's going to, it's going to rent for. Uh, this is what I've already done. All I need is a 25 grand or 30 grand or 400 grand, whatever that ends up being right for like, whether you're trying to pitch it to somebody on a small or big you come to me and you make it so easy for me. And then you show me, Hey, Brandon, you're going to get an 18% return on your money, cash on cash return, and likely more like a 30% IRR over the next five years. Like I'd have a hard time turning something like that down, especially if I knew at least I kind of knew who you were and, you know, had a kind of a relationship with you. I don't need to be best friends with you, but I'd be like, yeah, this guy, you know, he seems like a pretty awesome guy. So yeah. Uh, Corey said, you have to ask, no, don't answer for them. Uh, not think with your own wallet. Yeah. Basically like, you're never going to know unless you start talking with these people. Simon said 5% of something is better than 100% of nothing. There you go. 
Do you yeah. have much okay. equity in it, Joe? Oh yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So then you're then you're gonna be fine. If you, that's why Brandon always say, if you buy it right, you have plenty of options. You know, there's a hundred different ways you could look at this, but you're a newer investor. So the way I would be looking at it, like Brandon said, is if you're going to bring in a partner, say, hey, I need some cash. I'm raising some cash. I'm giving away some equity in the deal, or I can just pay you back your cash, you know, in a year or two, whatever you want to do. What would you do to help me? If you ask that question to me, I'd probably come up with a a very solid plan pretty quickly. Well, let's look at the numbers. How much equity do you have? How much are they going to rent for? What's your cash flow going to be? What area are you in? All right, here's what I would propose. What you want is the partner who comes up with a plan that's that makes a lot of sense right off the bat. Because like Brandon said, that's the guy you want to be with doing deals for the next five years. This is a real big opportunity for you because as you if you have equity, man, like you're gonna be fine. The deal finds you as as Brandon, the money finds you and you have the equity. So start talking to different investors that you know that are a little bit more experienced. See who comes up with the best game plan. And you're like, you know what? Maybe this is a person I want to partner with. That can be the money guy. I'll be the deal guy. And you're back on the podcast in three years telling us how you scaled to 80 units and $4 million because you found the right partner. <sighs> Joe, right. you guys got more yeah. time. I got more questions. Uh, shoot us with one more, but I got Tara waiting to come in. You guys talked about on one of your podcasts, you were looking for vacation rentals. You guys were potential looking for people to propose that. What specifically <laughs> are you guys looking for? Because I've been <laughs> in the game in the short-term rentals for like five years now. Yeah, I think that's the number one most common question Brandon and I are getting now. No, but I just I think that changes a lot over the last week. Uh, I would say I'm not right now looking for vacation rentals. Yeah. <laughs> <to go. laughs> I think the point we were making back then, I mean, the, the point still applies. It's like, if you can bring people good deals and package it up nicely and hand them a nice bow, you know, a bowed package, like people will jump at it. Like back then, like David and I were definitely interested in people. Again, now it changes a lot because now I'm not sure where Airbnb is going. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what we were, that's what we were definitely interested, for. Joe. If you or somebody else said, look, not only can I manage an Airbnb, but I can find a deal with a lot of equity in it. Right, I have connections to either direct to seller or I know a lot of people that are selling. If you have a talent to find a deal and then you want to Airbnb it after you find it, I still think that there's opportunity there. You may not want to Airbnb it right away. There may be a short-term play that we do that isn't you know, travel related. But if you're somebody that can find deals and you can manage systems and all you need is someone that can help you scale that, totally. I think you should still be looking for partners like... Brandon and I just people we're trying to get people out of the fixed mindset that this is the only way that I do real estate. I look for this and that works great in a rising tide. But now that we're getting a little bit of choppy waters, you got to have a, a broader perspective. Hey, Joe, where can people uh, link up with you? Are you on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can hit me up on Instagram, J-R underscore McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H. And uh, last up, real quick. Hey, I got this guy that I know that owns this business called Open Door Capital. He's looking for mobile homes. What's the minimum target to get that 50 grand of homes that I need to find to get some money? Oh, man. 100 unit. We're looking for 100 unit mobile home parks, city sewer and water anywhere in the country. You do that? 50K referral fee still applies today. It doesn't matter how how expensive it is. It's a flat fee, 50K. If it's like in. Yeah, Yeah, because anything over 100 units is going to be big enough for us to be able to afford a 50K finder's fee. So, uh yeah, if people are sitting at home doing nothing right now, you can be reaching out to mobile home park investors. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the setup, Joe. That's awesome, man. Thank you. You guys do great. I really enjoy it. We listen all the time. We love it so much. Thank uh, you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. 
How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day. 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even on the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. 
BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Now, I want to actually bring you in real quick, Tarl Yarber, into this conversation. Tarl is a good buddy of mine. Uh, hey, Tarl, what's up, man? First uh, off, hey, yeah. I just want to know, I want you guys to know right away that the only reason I've done any videos for Bigger Pockets is so I can have recognition from you and David and at least have you guys like <laughs> realize I exist. And this is my moment that I've been working This is your moment. This is everything in your life you've been building up to this point. Yeah, Tarl is an amazing video contributor for Bigger Pockets. If you guys are not following the Bigger Pockets YouTube page, then you probably uh, should be. So make sure you do that. I actually want to start this question. Tarl is a very experienced real estate investor, been on the podcast. What number are you? 189. I think it's probably the best one you guys ever did. But. <laughs> okay, 189. And uh, best one we ever did. I want to know your thoughts to that question real quick on what you would do if you were in Joe's spot. Because And let's, let's tweak it a little bit. A lot of people right now are out of money and want to invest in real estate. And maybe they are, maybe they have a good deal or they have the ability to find a good deal today. What would you do in those cases? I don't think it, I don't think the advice changes than what I would have give, given a while ago, especially in the guys like Joe's shoes. Uh, well, you guys were on, we're right on right track. Uh, I would be finding if he, one of the things he brought up was that he doesn't have the ability to even refinance out or maybe get mm -hmm. his cash back out because he doesn't have that either experience or the lenders that he's dealing with are looking for the fact that does he have any reserves, any kind of uh, other portfolio, any other assets to leverage. Uh, the thing that I would recommend when you're in that kind of shoes is that what you guys said was find a partner, but find a partner with that experience, with that portfolio, with that yeah. stuff. And that's part of giving things away. Uh, I remember when I first started out and started doing any kind of volume fix and flip, I was giving away 80% of the equity on deals for people to pay for them. And I thought that was like a great thing, like for me to only get 20%. And I did everything else. Now, nowadays, I would never do that today, but that's uh, unless I had to because I was stuck in a situation that I couldn't get out. And then I know that I'm in this business for the long run, not to make all my money on one deal. But if you're thinking five years, 10 years, 15 years out, even what's happening today in today's economy, this could be a blip, right? This could be... If your career in real estate is 15, 20 plus years or more, what is two years in that entire time period? What's three years, right? When you're looking at that time period, what's a few months, which this could just be a few months or it could be the next like, you know, hundred years of our lives and we're all doomed, but who knows, right? At this point, but yeah, that's where I think. All right. Well, on that note, what are you seeing right now in your market? First of all, you're in the Seattle, you know, Tacoma market, one of the hardest hit with the virus right now. Uh, what are you seeing both in terms of real estate and and where we're headed in your market right now? So real estate here is interesting. So anything on the single family market right now has been going pretty quick. Uh, we listed two houses last week, one on Friday, sorry, one on Thursday, one on Friday. Uh, both went over asking uh, by quite a bit with multiple offers within 24 hours. Uh, and part of that has to do with rates being low. Uh, I think that it depends on your price point with where you're at. We have a house that I'm really kind of worried about that's going on the market later this week. And it's because it's at a higher price point. Uh, the houses we listed last last week were houses at that, uh, we listed one at 250 and one at 400,000. 
Uh, the one at 250 went way over asking. The one at 400,000 went way over asking. But those are still the first time home buyer type prices here in the Seattle and Tacoma area. Uh, and I think that people that are in that price point with the rate rates are and the uncertainty of where rates are going to be, plus also the uncertainty of income uh, and the business, people that have been wanting to buy a house can finally go buy a house with those rates. And they're like, I got to get it now before in case something maybe happens. That's my theory. The people that are at the higher price point, we have a house getting listed for 900 grand at the end of this week, which is in a really nice area of Seattle. Uh, and even then, 900 grand in the area it's at is kind of like the entry level price point for that area. There's a lot of houses that were selling 1.2 to 1.4 million. We priced this house when we bought it to actually sell for 900 grand. And we're, if the market had continued doing what it was doing, we think that it would probably sell for 950 to a million, actually, the way that this market has been. And it still might, but we don't know. You don't have to buy a million dollar house. That's the thing, right? So if you're uncertain of what's happening, you don't have to buy that, right? So unlike maybe a first time home buyer might be their only chance to do that. So it's a big speculation on our part. A lot of my other investor friends that invest in the Seattle area that do have houses at that price point, they are still selling. But I, I don't know what's going to be next week. I don't know what's going to be the week after that. So I'm really curious on that one for myself personally. We definitely have seen all the Airbnb stuff go on a lot of levels. Uh, people that are doing that rental arbitrage uh, where they're leasing out from a landlord and then Airbnb and being out to somebody else. I've seen those guys get hit. There's people that come to our events uh, that they've just lost everything right away because they're doing the arbitrage. They don't actually own the building. So I've seen that happen. Commercial building space. I own some commercial buildings and good timing for me with one of them. I just listed it to rent out for office space. I don't see that that thing listing out uh, any or renting out anytime soon. So we're going to be looking into what we got to do there. I can talk about this for a lot of guys. Commercial lenders. Commercial lenders are freaking out, right? And that's on that more of the commercial resident, like the multifamily commercial space uh, from what I've seen. Hard money lenders, probably a little bit more than half the hard money lenders here in the Seattle area that's just shut their doors, just like we're not lending and they've just stopped uh, completely. And partly a huge part of that actually has to do with the secondary market buying their mortgages from them, the capital institutional investors that have been buying the mortgages for those short term loans for the hard money lenders. You're talking about six to 12 month loans uh, for bridge lending. They basically have all most of the large institutional portions have all just said, we're not buying anything right now because we don't know what's going to happen, which then shuts a lot of the hard money lenders down. So I'm going to see that market, in, especially in our market, is already changing pretty fast, almost daily, uh, as far as investors are concerned to buy new properties. So I keep going, but if you got more stuff, then that's Yeah, I have, a, I have a question for you. Over the next 30, 60, 90 days, how do you see acquisition strategies changing? Should they change? Do you think it's market by market? What are your thoughts on that? Dude. All right. So this is something that's been a hot topic internally. We get, a, we've always had a lot of acquisitions come our way and we've always been really selective over the last two years, more for private personal life. We've have been, my wife and I've been living a more of a lifestyle business lately and not just buying anything like we used to do. So we're lucky in that part. But as far as acquisitions goes, I see that like, I kind of, I get stuck with this phrase uh, that I think Warren Buffett said was like, when people are, when people are greedy, be fearful, fearful, be greedy. And I keep looking around going like, am I supposed to be greedy right now? Or am I supposed to be fearful? I don't know. And then, but as far as acquisitions goes, we have seen, I give you guys some strategies that we're implementing right now, but for people to consider. And the thing that I'm finding is a struggle is that our competition is not a struggle as maybe a potential benefit. Our competition is going to be a lot harder for them to finance these deals, especially if they're fix and flip loans, if the lenders aren't lending private money lenders some of them have some of our private money lenders have pulled back and we've almost always used extensively private money lenders for everything we do 
And uh, more than half of our private vending lenders like, hey, I love you guys to death, but I need to wait to see what happens before I dish out more capital. So even on our end, that might make our acquisitions a little bit more struggling if we're reliant on hard money lenders and private money lenders for everything as well. So, But as far as strategies, if you look at how many people are affected by this right now, uh, I would say that if you already have, I guess, how do I say this without sounding like a, a capitalist uh, too hardcore, but because I am, uh, if you're in contracts with people right now in escrow right now to close, there's no reason you can't go back and renegotiate it right now and yeah. try to get the deal even better. Uh, we passed on a deal last week that was an average deal before the market situation. What, what's the uncertainty right now? And we probably would have bought it, but we told them because it was an average deal, even today, we're not going to buy it because we want to get yeah. the big juicy ones. That made them go back and they're renegotiating it down another 20 grand to try to get us to buy it right now. Just because I said, you know, we might have bought it two weeks ago, but right now it needs to be a really freaking good deal if we're going to buy it. I would look at people that are, if you think about, there are a lot of absentee owners that own a lot of rentals in different parts of the US that also had their money in the stock market. And if you think through that strategy for a second, a lot of people that had their money in the stock market, depending on what age bracket they're in, were approaching retirement. And they, and the real estate market's still strong. So in, in single family, at least. So some of those people might be considering selling some of their portfolio to recoup some of that cash. Uh, and because they, they know that they can sell. Some places like in Seattle market has been changing some rampant, rampantly on landlord laws here to be favoring the tenant way, way more than a landlord. So you take kind of a perfect storm of somebody that was already reaching retirement age. Maybe they had 10 units already or, or four or five single family homes. They just lost a third or half of their portfolio. They plan on retiring and they were already pissed off about the landlord laws already. Uh, and they might be wanting to, to remove some of their portfolio just to recoup some of that loss. So that's maybe something to think about. Some of you guys might be clicking on that a little bit. And we've seen that a lot recently, not to give away all our strategies. And the other side we're seeing too is that our contractors still want to work. We want to make sure that they're still well-fed and we still want to pay for our projects to get done and take care of our guys. Washington's thinking about doing a stay-in-place situation right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't come out in the next couple of days. And we'll see how that affects our construction side. We have a development happening right now that we were just warned by the, and we're almost done. We're like literally like two weeks from being done with this development, and which means it's also selling. And the buyers are still good to go. We've had it locked down. We just had the materials, our gravel supplier, just give us the warning that said, we might not be able to deliver gravel next week because we might be shutting down all operation during this situation. And we need gravel literally just for next week. And so, and you're talking a lot. We need a lot yeah. because of the big development. And we can't store it somewhere else. So we're like, this time it sucks, right? So I'm going to stop because I got a lot to say. And I'll let you guys. <laughs> no, that's good, man. So where, where can people reach out to you? I mean, you are you got a good pulse on the uh, on the Pacific Northwest market and just real estate in general. You do a lot of burr stuff, a lot of flipping stuff, a lot of rental stuff. So where do people connect with you at? Uh, you can follow me at Instagram at, at Tarl Yarber, T-A-R-L Yarber, Y-A-R-B-E-R. I'm the only one. And I'm still trying to get the at Tarl tag, but somebody else has it. So, oh man, uh, anyways, uh, we'll see you guys. All right, well we're gonna we're gonna let you go, and we're gonna bring in another caller uh, with a question about house hacking. So, with that, Sawyer, welcome to the podcast, man. Good to have you here. Come on, guys. It's gonna be hey, here. Hey, hey, where are you uh, where are you calling from? I'm in uh, Southport, North Carolina, just south of uh, Wilmington on the coast here. Hey, cool. Well, what can we help you with? I'm going to try to keep it a little bit shorter than uh, Tarl there. That was, a, that was good. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I've just got the uh, one single family residence, my primary residence, new investor. 
And I'm wondering if now is the perfect time to maybe try to sell my property while the values are still really high and get into uh, a house tax so I can keep those expenses low and kind of posture myself so I'm in a good position for you know what could be happening in the next year or two. David, what do you think? I think it's always a good time to sell your house in a house hack unless you're independently wealthy. So the answer is going to be yes. But here's some points I want to make about that. One, trying to time the market very rarely works in somebody's favor. Okay, we Taro was just talking about, or no, it wasn't Taro. Uh, who was talking about it? Justin was talking about, you don't want to catch the falling knife. And that's absolutely true. The problem is you don't know when the market's going to hit the ground and recover. So based on my own experience... In 2009 is when I bought my first rental. Prices were going down more. I was like, oh, if I'd have waited, I got it for 20000 less. And I bought one house a year after that. And I thought it would just be this way forever. And then 2013 hit. And right when I thought, okay, now I'm going to go buy a lot of real estate, it was too late. It just, there was no chance to catch it. It was off and running. And every month houses were selling for 20, 30,000 over asking price. You just, you couldn't catch up. So what I learned was that sometimes you can step over dollars to save pennies by trying to get the perfect deal. And that when you sell and you, then you buy, you're doing it in the same market. So I've literally had clients before that are trying to sell and buy. And they're like, hey, David, do you think I should wait to sell my house because I can get it for more? And I'll say, sure, we can do that. And they'll say, okay, well, when it, tell me when it's at the peak because that's when I want to sell. And I said, all right, but you do realize now you're going to be buying at the peak, right? Oh, well, okay, I don't want to do that. So let's wait until prices drop really far and then let's go buy. Okay, so you realize you're going to be selling in a buyer's bottom. <laughs> yeah. You, for the majority of people, you never get away from this problem. You're selling and buying in the same market. So it's roughly six and one half a dozen in the other. Don't try to tie markets. That's the point that I'm getting at. The only way you can do that is if you own two homes, you sell one for a lot of money, you live in the other, you wait for it to drop, then you go buy back in, you let it rise. That's why I say everybody should own two homes. I wrote a, a post about that before. But for someone in your situation, if you sell your house and then the market drops, that's okay. You're buying into a better market. If you sell your house and then the market goes up, that's okay. You sold at a, at a high level. So don't worry about that aspect. What you should be thinking about is what you're thinking about. How do I position myself financially stronger with real estate, which is a house hack, which is exactly what you're doing now. So selling a primary that doesn't earn income to buy one that does income does earn income is always a good move as long as you're selling and buying in the same market. Okay. And that's what you're talking about. So if I was in your situation, here's what I would do. I would hire a real estate agent who sells a lot of houses and who's really good. And I would sell my house and accept an offer contingent on finding a replacement property. That means that if you go into contract with a buyer, you can back out if you don't find the house that you want to go buy. Now that's harder to do in a market where not as many people are looking. I don't know how hot your market is. You wouldn't have a hard time in my market right now. You'd be fine doing that. And then if you don't find a replacement property, you go back to the buyer and you say, Hey, I can't sell you my house. I need another two weeks to look for one. You know, I'm still going and they can either extend you or they can back out. If you can't make that work, arrange some form of a, of living arrangements where you and whoever your family is can live with someone else for a short period of time after you sell your house to find your house hack. What you don't want to do is what everybody does. They try to go find the house they want first. They put it under contract contingent on selling their house. Then when their house doesn't sell right away, which is probably not going to in a market like this, or the buyers come back and ask them for credits or anything goes wrong on the selling side, not only are you worried about selling your house, but the pressure's doubled because now you're going to lose the house that you went to go find and you got emotionally attached to. It's a terrible way to actually make the transition. So if you can, to recap, find a place to stay, sell your house, put the money in the bank, then go 
buy a house act on a timeline that works for you. And if you can't find anywhere to stay, sell your house contingent on finding a replacement property. Don't put an offer on a house contingent on selling your house. Hey, just to, to throw a couple of thoughts on there. First of all, so questions to clarify real quick. If you sold your house right now, would you clear a big chunk of money or would you basically just like walk away? No, with no I'd probably walk away with just about nothing. I might make just a very okay. small amount, but I think it, the main benefit would just be getting rid of a big monthly expense and being able to save more. Yeah. Well, what, what if you rented out the house currently and then bought another house? Like, could you, could you cash flow out the uh, currently? That's another option. Yeah. Um, we're at the beach, so it's kind of a vacation spot. The numbers, I don't think I could get all the way up. It would just offset the cost of the mortgage. I don't think I could cash flow this primary residence though. Well, let me jump I, in. What, what would you be losing a month? If you rented it out. Um, probably about $200 a month. Okay. And how much could you lower your mortgage if you went in you house hacked? Probably around $1,500 a month. So I think that that makes this a pretty clear decision. It's okay to not cash flow if you're losing 200 a month to go save 1500 a month. That's a $1,300 a month net to you. Right. Brandon, is that yeah. what you were getting at? Yeah, I was going to go basically that same thing. Is maybe, maybe it's worth, like, you know, if you were going to go ca- uh, you know, sell your house and make a hundred grand and because of the whole, if you lived in the house two years, you don't pay any capital gains tax and you could walk away with a hundred grand tax-free Hallelujah. I would do that all day long right now because we're at the, probably at the peak of the market. I would take my money and run with a two-year thing. Uh, maybe even rent for a while if you couldn't find another house to house hack. If, I would just because if, if we are at the top, which we probably are, that two-year no tax thing is huge. If you're not going to make a lot of cash profit, then it doesn't, it just doesn't really matter that much uh, unless you're going to lose a lot of cash flow, which you would be, but because you're going to house hack, then maybe I would. So this is why it's important like for people to understand when they hear this, not just to take one piece of advice that I say, David says, you know, like, you know, is do this. Like there are some nuances here kind of to think through, uh, but man, hope that helps you out. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate the time guys. Actionable stuff here. All right. Well, good deal. Well, thank you very much. And we're going to actually bring in a couple more is that you, Mel, are you there? Hey guys. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey, thank you so much. Hey, David. How is it going? Dave's it's here with going you. Oh, there you are. Yeah, Dave. I was going to say, I thought, I thought I thought Mel and Dave. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're here. Very cool. So you guys, you guys are active real estate investors as well, correct? And you're up in Canada, right? We are. We're in North uh-huh. Bay, so about three hours north of Toronto. Okay. So what are you guys seeing right now in your market is what's going on with the real estate? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of fear from you know from from everyone that that we're talking to about investing and you know what should I do next should I tell my tenants about you know about should I talk to my tenants about payment or not yeah um, and, and people who are in the stock market right are just beside themselves with all the money they lost so I don't know I that's why I love real estate right it's just kind of it's not uh, it's not volatile I find right yeah not quite as much as uh yeah it didn't drop fifty percent in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we were we were talking because we. It's funny. We so we're in Canada. We're buying Canada, but we're also looking at the states. So, um, and of course, David, we we've listened to your uh, to your book, and you know, and now it's that okay. When's an a when's the right time gonna be? You know, to to invest outside of market, and yeah. What what are your thoughts on that, guys? And we're looking Florida, just so you know. Like I've got a sweet, I got a soft spot for Florida. Cause that's where we go every yeah, winter. There's so. snow in our backyard, <laughs> so we love to escape. Uh, get out of the snow. Get out of the snow. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts, Florida now or Florida later? Anything, David? As far as when you should buy investment property, there. Correct. Okay, if you wait until we think the market's going to bottom out, 
it's going to be very hard to time that first off. The next set is you, if you're looking for a really good deal, the best way you find them, everybody knows, is like a distressed seller, usually off market. So I don't think there's anything foolish with starting looking now and developing relationships with people that own rental properties who may be thinking about selling, but they're not super motivated or super distressed because you don't know how they're going to be feeling in two to three months of maybe not getting rent. They may be begging you to take that thing off their hands. So what I'm getting at here is don't wait three months and then start your lead generation to look for the deal. Look for the deal right now. Know what numbers it makes sense at and stay in touch with that person until they get to the point where those numbers make sense for you. Mm, Yeah, that's great. That's That's awesome. And and I know we there's no predictions and no one has a crystal ball, but if you were to have one, Dave, David, what are you uh, thinking? If <laughs> Oh, it's so scary when we say this because, you know, people are going to listen to this like six months later and say, those guys were idiots. What the hell are they talking about, right? And that's why no one, no one ever wants to give direct answers to those questions when you get into this space because they're always afraid that's what's yeah. going to happen. But I don't care. I'm not a big enough deal yet that I have to worry about that. Just don't watch Here's, six months. Yeah. Yeah, Here's what go. I'm fairly confident is going to happen. You're going to see a lot of people lose their jobs or businesses are going to close down. You're going to see like a lot of fear, but it's not really going to be based on systemic problems. It's just short-term market, market psychology. The stock market's going to go down. People are going to lose short-term money. But the demand for all the jobs that people are losing isn't just going away. I had to talk with someone, another realtor that was really afraid. Like, what if all these people lose their jobs? You know, I'm like, and businesses close down. I said, okay, give me an example of a business that would close down. Okay, well, like the sandwich shop down the street. Like, what if they have to lay everyone off and they close their doors? I said, okay, in three months when everybody's been sick and gotten better and they're going back to work, do people not want sandwiches anymore? Is the demand for sandwiches disappeared? No. So either that sandwich shop's going to reopen or another one's going to reopen instead. And then they're going to hire the, the same people that were that were lost their job. And we're right back to normal. And all these people that are screaming, the sky is falling, are going to be pretending like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, bro. I wasn't that worried. You're going to like the fear mongers are going to just kind of slowly pretend like that didn't happen. And so that's what I look at. Right. Yeah. What This is a horrible virus that spreads very quickly against a lot of people sick. Our government has self-imposed like economic, I don't want to say suicide because it's not that bad, but economic hardship on us in order to slow down the spread of it. That's it. When everybody's better and they've caught it and they've come back, it's going to go right back to where things were. And what I'm personally anticipating is it's going to take off. Like like we have a, a hose with water going through it right now, which is demand for products and we put a kink in that hose everybody stay home don't go to work you're not buying stuff the velocity money has slowed down when we go back to work they're going to release that kink and i'm telling all my clients hey home prices this summer are probably going to shoot up and you're not going to be able to catch up we need to get your listing agreement signed right now and be ready to put your house on the market when that happens you need to be pre-approved with that lender and ready to pull the trigger so that when you do have certainty with your job you're not the person getting in the game two to three months later when prices have gone up 50 grand in my market that's what i'm planning on happening this is like a ceasefire that's all. Okay. It's a short-term thing. Yes, jobs will be lost and those jobs will come right back. The demand for those products is not going away once everyone's back. Now, if this was a virus that like literally was killing the healthy population of the workforce, I'd have a completely different perspective on this because sure. there literally wouldn't be people to go back to work. But that's not what the data is telling us right now. Most of the worst case scenarios I hear people talk about are assuming that the next two to three months are going to extend for like 18 months. 
But that's not what we're seeing in China. That's not what we're seeing in some of the other countries. It's very hard to see how that would happen to us. And I think that based on the current political administration we have in America, if this did extend for two to three months, I think they'd be like, okay, guys, we got to go back to work, go to work, get sick. We now have had enough time to get ventilators and respirators into hospitals. We have enough makeshift hospitals set up. If you're old or if you're at risk, you quarantine. The rest of you guys have to go back. Brandon, what do you think? No, I think that's really good. I don't think I would add anything to that. I, I hope you're right. I hope the kink in the hose analogy, I think, is a great analogy. I think that's where we're going. So, Mel and Dave, where can people get in touch with you? Where can they reach out to you? I know you guys are active on Instagram. Yeah, we're active on Instagram and Facebook. Our username is Investor Mel and or Mel, Investor Mel Dave is how they can follow us. Um, it's funny. Earlier today, we're outside. There's snow outside, but we we just finished doing a video to get on your podcast. So you'll- <laughs> oh, nice. We've so, got this clothes on, so, so make sure you do it. That's awesome. Kevin, you'll all be hearing from us. So. I'll check it out. Thanks, guys. So appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here today. We're going to actually bring another, we're going to bring another caller. We got a, a question from the audience. Adam, uh, Adam, come on into the show. How's it going? How's it going, man? How's it going, guys? Thanks for taking the question. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where, are you, where are you located? Uh, I'm in Tampa. All right, we had a lot of Florida yeah. conversations. Floridians. Today. Exactly. Yeah. What's nice up with you guys having spring break and having all these kids flying into Florida getting sick and bringing it <laughs> well, to the rest Those of the kids country. were younger younger than me. So I can't <laughs> okay, actually- good. You guys just can't stop providing ammunition for Florida memes. I know, yeah. A Florida man. I just learned about the Florida man yesterday. I never knew about that. Wow, yeah. Brandon. I didn't know about Florida man. That's what so happens now, when you have yeah. kids. You just get completely cut off from the rest of popular <laughs> culture. All right. So what's your question, Adam? All right. So my wife and I closed on our first investment property back in January. Thank you. We finished rehab and moved in about three weeks ago. All right. And it's a, it's a house hack. It's kind of a luxury house hack with an ADU, right? Okay. Uh, so we just finished rehab and everything, moved in and haven't yet listed it or filled it. So obviously we can swing the mortgage payment. No big deal. It's not much more than we were renting for previously. My wife's a nurse. I work from home. Uh, not that, that has a ton to do with it. We're trying to decide if we should prioritize getting a tenant in now. We think max it'll rent about $1,300. we are trying to decide if we should get a tenant in now or wait two or three months till the whole coronavirus stay at home, initial round of layoffs or whatever, potentially flies by or, or, or blows over and then get someone in. Trying to, right. trying to wrap our head around what to do. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so, so wait till it all blows over or start right now. So my, my personal thought is start right now, immediately jump into it. And here's why I say that you may not find anybody right now, but I would start at least, you know, the Zillow and put it, put, put ads on Zillow on Craigslist on, you know, if you use cozy or whatever you use their list, like get the applicants rolling in. Cause you might just find the most ideal person ever, but you're not required to take somebody if you don't find the ideal person. Right. So there's zero downside there's zero downside to trying right now to getting somebody, but you're right. Like the economy, I mean, things could happen and rents could go down. I doubt they're going to go up dramatically. They might, but I doubt it. So like there's tremendous upside to trying to get it rented right now. There's not a lot of downside to, to waiting. Now, will you actually get anybody who knows nobody's, I mean, you're You guys are probably going to get the shelter in place thing going as well. Just like everyone else does. Uh, if you haven't yet, so people just might not be interested in renting right now. But at least you get practice. At least you get the phone ringing. Hopefully you have some conversations. That's where I'd go. David, what do you think? Let's run the numbers and let them make the decision for you. So what do you think you can get if you had to put it out there and get attended in a month? How much rent could you get? 1300 All right. And how much do you think you'll get if you wait and the economy is like rocking and rolling? If it, if it keeps, if it's, if it's rocking and rolling, 1300 was the max we could get. As of right now, I think 1300 is still safe. I think the lowest it'll come, like if, if, if 2008 happens again, 
or, or something that affects rent prices, I think it's safe to say we'd still get a grand. It's a 800 square foot flat. Okay. Awesome so, so worst case scenario, you're talking about getting a thousand a month instead of 1300 a month. Okay. Yeah. That's a $300 difference over one year. That's uh, $3,600. How long do you think it's going to be before the economy r- turns around and you can actually get the 1300 if you wait? Like, I'm an IT guy. God knows. Um, all right, let's say six months. It takes okay. six months before it turns around. Okay. So that's $1,800. If you just rent it out right now and you don't have to wait like two months, you're yeah. already ahead of, ahead of... Like it makes more sense to do that, right? The minute you have right. to wait like three months, you're never going to catch up for the whole year. This is what I, the point I'm making is it very rarely ever makes sense to wait to get more rent because the rent you lost when you waited dwarfed the the extra rent you were going to get. So here's what you do. You put it up, you get someone in there ASAP. That's a really good tenant that isn't paying really good money. That's okay. Let's say they only pay 700 a month. All right. And you set it up for a six month lease. And they're in there for six months. And then when everything turns around and rents stabilize, they, or let's say that it doesn't stabilize for nine months, worst case scenario, you just go month to month for three months with that person. So they're in there for 700 a month, nine months in the economy is healthy again. Now you sign them on a, on a year long lease. And by the way, you make it expire during the spring or the summer because that's a better time to get a tenant, right? But the thing is, no tenant wants to move out of a house when all their stuff is already there and they have nowhere to go that's going to be cheaper than what they have because everybody else's rents are going to be high. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get a person in there, you're breaking even, you're not bleeding anymore, and you didn't lose any upside because as soon as the rents turn around, boom, you put it back to market rent, and they're not going to leave when you raise the rents because they have nowhere to go because everyone else is doing the same thing. It's actually a really simple solution to a question that a lot of people ask. So I'm really glad that you were in here asked it because I know there's so many other people in the exact same shoes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. And like, like, keep those standards high. You know, like... It, the biggest mistake you can do is getting panicky and renting somebody that is is a terrible idea, right? And you know that. So For sure. it's not the money, it's the quality of the tenant that matters right now. For sure. Brandon, we're using your and your wife's book as the Bible for getting someone. So hopefully we don't nice. screw up. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, thanks guys. To, uh, yeah. Appreciate it, man. Have a good day. And uh, in case anybody's curious, that book is the book on managing rental properties by Heather Turner and myself as well. So uh, very cool. All right. Another question just came in. I'm going to ask David here. Did 2008 affect rent prices? If anything, didn't they go up with new demand for rentals? It's a great question, yeah. Corey. Corey's actually in a group that I belong to. It's actually oh, nice. very cool that he's on here. In 2008, everybody lost, well, not everybody, but a lot of people lost their home and they needed somewhere to live. And so they had to go rent something. And a lot of those people, they didn't lose their job. They just lost their property. That was a, This is almost the opposite where people are losing their jobs, but they probably don't need to lose their property right away. So that's one small difference. But because they had to have somewhere to live, rental demand skyrocketed. Because there wasn't a ton of rentals. So even though the economy suffered, rents held the same or they went up. And then when we saw the economy get better and home prices went up, well, rents went up too because now everybody wants to buy a house. There's less rentals. So the problem is when the economy goes bad, demand for rentals goes up. When the economy goes good, supply for rentals goes down. Both of those things cause uh, rental pressure upward. That's one of the reasons that like I, I'm always asking people that are older than us, like, you know, the 50, 60, 70 year old crew that has been a real estate investor for a long time. When did rents go down? Tell me a time where rents went down. And they have never had a person yet that gave me an answer other than for a very short period of time during a time like this where there was a little bit of uncertainty that rents actually went down. Now that's in the residential space. In the commercial space, I think that's that's very different, right? You're definitely prone in the commercial space to changes in like systemic changes. Like I, one of the things that I think will come out of this is that Amazon 
is going to get even more successful and online yeah. companies because you have a lot of people that are 40 years old, 50 years old that they don't like using the internet if they don't have to. They really, yeah. they know Facebook and that's all. They go to the store to get their stuff. Well, now they can't go to the store. So their kids, their grandkids are showing them, here's how you order toilet paper on Amazon. And now they're like, oh, that wasn't so hard. I could just click a button. When this improves, they're all going to do the online thing like the younger generations are. Okay. So I think stuff like that is going to put pressure on the commercial space where you own a big building and people go to get uh, buy products from a company that sells them and, and leases your space. That's an area that I can see being affected by this. But residential housing, I mean, until people don't need a place to live with water and power and insulation, it's very hard to see that rents are ever going to go down. Yeah. I love that question. Right. What do you think, Brandon? Can you picture a scenario where that's happening? I guess the population um, dropping could, right? Yeah. Like if people stop having babies. Yeah, I think what what would trigger is the people moving in together. I think like, again, supply and demand. So a lot of people moving in together. Builders stop building for a number of years. You know, people are afraid. This economy thing just continues to just ransack America or the virus and, and millions of people die. I mean, I, I could see a, a world where like in a yeah, black but, swan But what event. you're describing is like a population decrease still. Yes. And that would have to happen. It would have to be less renters uh, or for a long period of time, less building. Uh, no, that would that no, would no, no. You're increase. right. It would be. I mean, yeah, you're you'd right. have to see like a change in the way More houses building. are built. Like if 3D printers can figure out how to make a house, that's something. Yeah, I've seen that's probably the biggest. <laughs> that's probably the biggest. Uh, actually, we don't talk about this ever, but that's probably the biggest one of the biggest concerns. I'm like, afraid if, to like, talk about it because I don't want someone yeah, to hear it and do it. Because, <laughs> because like the things that hurt your business are. Like the things that are going to hurt real estate are the things we never saw coming really like, and it's going to be the art. Like, what if you just plug into a thing and they put 500 people into a commercial office building and you just plug into the matrix and you don't need a home anymore. Like, I mean, those, like that's, what's going to destroy real estate. Not like necessarily. Now I, I can see rent. I can see rent control being a, a bigger issue. And by rent control, I mean, I can see the, the wrong I don't say the wrong person. Oh, I'm going to say it. The wrong person gets elected into, as president and a bunch in Congress because it had to be, you know, it had to be a pretty big uh, group of people advocating for it. But I can see people, you know, forcing rental rates and prices and dropping them if we get to the point where that was necessity. Again, I hope not. Yeah, but so. if that happens, then they've also probably devalued the dollar. So even though you're getting less rent, it's worth the same amount of money. Yeah. Right. Like it's just very, very hard to see real estate being as resilient as it is unless they increase supply through the, they can print houses and make them super cheap so everyone can have their own house or yeah. they decrease demand by having less people. Yeah. So, yeah, the question in 2008, did we see rents go down? No, not really. I mean, a short period of time when there was like it was a flux where people were in foreclosure. So they were living in their house, but they weren't making a payment. That was going on. Like rents weren't going up during that period of time. But the minute that all the foreclosures started to hit, they were like scrambling to find rentals and rents every month were going up more than they were before. Just for some context, I bought a fourplex in 2013. When I bought it, rents were $700. We just rented it out uh, last month, I think for $1,450 for one unit. And another one is on the market at like $1,600. And that's over a seven-year period. Rents doubled. Crazy. Yeah. Beth said 2001.com bust saw 10 rents drop in Seattle. The only time I've ever seen it in 20 years. Yeah. I think like the right, uh, com- what's the word I'm looking for? Like the collection of events. Yeah. Combination of events that happen could trigger, yeah, but I bet you anything, 
a tech center place yeah, where a, a lot huge, of people yeah. specifically lost their jobs and there was yeah. a, de- a demand decrease in Seattle, yeah. but that wasn't happening in Wisconsin where they were making cheese. They didn't care about <laughs> you know, the tech crash. Yeah, very good. Let's see. Yeah. Rents tend to go up. Yeah. Jason, Jason had left a comment. just said, I'm in the middle of a duplex purchase right now. I'm nervous about it, but it's a ride or die for me. Not letting anything stop me. I like that attitude, man. What about Nikki? How does the story end? Prediction for 2020. What happens to the economy? Stimulus packages, different types of real estate strategies. Yeah. So here's how the story ends. We have no idea. I think David had a good answer earlier that he thinks things are going to, it's the, the, the hoe is getting unkinked analogy. Uh, I have no, you know, you read some stuff and they're like, stay in your home for two weeks. We'll all be fine. And, and then you read something that's like, like, this is not going away until we have a vaccine. And so this could be 18 months to two years before we get out of this. And then like you and everything in between, right? Like there's the worst case on one side and then the best case on the other. I like what Justin said at the beginning of the show is I'm going to bet on America. I'm going to bet on us figuring this up. And I believe that we are going to figure out a way through this. Like I said, I think we're going to stabilize the freaking out will stabilize at some point, like even in turmoil, like for example, like to use an analogy, like if you were on a ship and you're going across the ocean on a ship, right? Like back in the old days, you're on a pirate ship because I want to be on a pirate ship and you're on this pirate ship and a storm comes the first night and I've never been in a storm before and it's like crazy and I'm water going everywhere and that just, it's scaring the hell out of me. But then the storm doesn't stop. It just get, the next day is a storm. The next day is a storm. The next day is a storm. By like the fourth day, you're like, all right, like the storm. It's, that's what it is. I just live in a storm and it's not scary. It's still there. It's not scary. So that's what, if this continues, who knows if it is or not, whether the storm goes down or whether the storm continues, our mentalities will stabilize in whatever situation we have. It's uncertainty. So in a weird way, you could be, people will become certain with the uncertainty, They'll become confident in the uncertainty and that's going to stabilize, I think, a lot of, of a lot of plans. So uh, that's that's what I see the end of the story is. Very brilliant. Ah, brilliant. By the way, if you're a pirate, do they make peg legs big enough for somebody like you? I don't you know. Two of them together. To... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I kind of want to find out. All right. Uh, Mike Williams said, I listened to the BP podcast from last week. Great info about what the future might hold. I agree. Thanks, Mike Williams, for that it was really I love that Brandon. Can you get more of your employees to come in and compliment us as if they're just a regular person? I like these ringers. I like this too. Hey Ryan, you got any good questions for the, <laughs> the audience? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh another thing came in. Jared is I gonna do a interest-only bridge loan until this thing gets figured out, then refinance into a 30-year in three to four months, fingers crossed, 249 purchase price, just appraised for 290. Burr. Yeah, dude. Keep going. That's awesome, man. Keep going. Um <laughs> Drew McCluskey said baseball bat leg <laughs> for, the, leg. for the pirate like yeah the peg leg <laughs> she's a baseball bat that was a joke I was looking for Drew and I wasn't quick enough for it all right let's talk about this real quick this is an important topic and we haven't really talked about it yet today mortgage freeze or the mortgage deferment or the what's the word uh, forbearance we have a lot of that. So I posted a video last week on Bigger Pockets a few days ago that's had like 50,000 views now just in the past few days. Uh, it, let me let me because I tell you the newest count right now because this is a super popular topic. The, the video was called Are Your Tenants Unable to Pay Rent Due to the Coronavirus? Here's what to do. It's up to 61,000 views. This is a huge issue right now. And in this video, I said, look, like I have a plan in place now for what we're going to do. If we have to, we're going to tell, you know, first of all, we're going to make sure the tenant realizes that 
well, first of all, we're going to have a plan. Second of all, we're going to empathize. We're going to listen. We're going to have conversations with our tenants. Third, we're going to make sure they know rent is still due. Fourth, we're going to give them their options. Like you can pay by credit card. You can take out a small loan. You can borrow from family and friends, whatever, but rent is still due. Uh, And fifth, we're going to... Uh, make a deferral plan that they could spread out their payments over 10 months starting in June. So they could take technically April and May, not pay either of those. Now we're not going to tell them up front. This is the worst case, last case scenario. When they don't pay, that's what I'm going to tell individual tenants about this plan. Now that said, when I made this video, I think the plan, it works pretty good. I had a number of people reach out. I mean, out of 61,000, I think I had like three people uh, go on and say, what a bunch of horrible investors, landlords, because you guys aren't paying your mortgage payment. You guys don't have to pay your mortgage payments anymore, but you're still going to collect rent from all these tenants. What a bunch of horrible people. So let me, first of all, just say, I wasn't talking about if we get to defer our payments, right? But that's not happening. But this is what the tenant world and a lot of the world thinks is that we suddenly just don't have to pay our mortgages anymore. Now, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have come out with some stuff for homeowners that you can maybe forbear, there's some forbearance and maybe something's coming. And if that comes, yes, we're going to find a way to pass that onto our tenants. So we're not just being jerks and going to make money off of this thing. So that said, David, what have you heard or what do you know about forbearance, dealing mortgages, anything like that? Have you heard anything that's coming? No, but it's, I'm pretty fairly certain it's going to come unless, you know, like Congress has the ability to stop it, which I don't see any reason that they would. It there's, I'm just assuming that's going to happen. Now, here's what you what people need to understand about that. You're not just getting to skip a payment. You're just getting it put onto the end of your loan agreement, basically. So you're still making the payment. There's not making you pay it right now. Tenants who think that they should get to skip their rent are probably not thinking, oh, I'll just make an extra payment at the end of my lease after I've moved out. That's not going to happen. So it's not an apples for apples trade. Uh, another thing is my property taxes are still due. My maintenance is still due. My insurance is still due. Everything else that I have to spend money on is still going to be due, even if I do get to defer the mortgage. Dude, now, that, almost- that is such a good, really, real quick, that's such a good point where non real estate investors don't realize that. Like, literally, they think, like, I mean, I, I've seen in some videos, and I'm not knocking these people, but I've seen a number of investors say, you know what? In this difficult time, like, I'm just going to not let my, my tenants are not going to pay rent. I'm going to allow my tenants not to pay rent. So I'm like, that's fine, but I, I like you still have to pay your mortgage, but you also have to pay your taxes and then utilities and electricity and all that stuff, right? This is why we say in real estate the 50% rule. It says that half of all the money you earn from rent is going to go out to non-mortgage expenses. So even I've had people say, well, doesn't Dave Ramsey look smart right now? Okay, first of all, I love Dave Ramsey and I've always said he's a smart guy and buying properties for cash is definitely less risky but they're not off the hook either because they still have 50% of their expenses or their income is still going out. So whether they have a mortgage or not, they're still losing a, a mass amount of money right now. And so anyway, I just wanted to bring up the 50% rule that this is not the only thing. Sorry. I yeah, I promise you, when you have a big portfolio, you don't worry about your mortgage payment. You worry about- Correct, yeah. Breaks that you have to go <laughs> fix or, or yeah. vacancy or them moving out and trashing the house. That's way, yeah. way bigger expense in your mortgage. My properties mortgage. don't, they're not Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac stuff. Like a yeah, handful of them are. The rest of them are all commercial mortgages or portfolio loans where I don't get that government coming mm-hmm. in. And they're not trying to save me. They're trying to help the you know average American who just wants to have a house and they're afraid I can't make my mortgage. My family's going to be evicted. That's who the politicians are looking to help because that's they can get more votes that way. And that's just how the whole thing works. I understand that. But don't assume that just because your landlord is making a mortgage that it's going to fall underneath that package because it doesn't. You also have to show that your 
you, your ability to make your payment was affected by the coronavirus. It's not everybody just gets a free mortgage where they don't have to make a payment for the next six months or 12 months. There's going to be some form of hardship that has to be documented. You have to, you're going to have to show pay stubs or something showing my income dramatically decreased. And you're still going to have to make that payment later. That's just what I want people to understand. It's not free money. You're just getting a pause in when it's, when it's due. So a couple more comments and questions that come in. First of all, Beth said, most of my mortgage companies have been proactive in offering forbearance. So yeah, it's definitely worth talking. If if your tenants aren't going to pay rent or can't pay rent, it's worth, especially if you're in an area that was really hard hit, like you had a bunch of Airbnbs, it's worth having the conversation. Like even if I were a private lender, let's say I was a hard money lender or a private lender myself, and I lent David here money for a project. Like I'm a person, I understand that David, like just say, especially if I, I lent it to David on a Airbnb property, and I know that David's just going through hell right now. I don't want that property back. So I will still likely work with David as long as I have open communication. So just keep that in mind. If you guys are struggling right now, ha- start having the conversation with your lenders. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, in mind as well. Yeah, Sean said, my mortgage guy is pushing me into a refinance and the savings would only be 150 bucks a month. I told him, no, I think we can wait and do better. Any thoughts on that? Oh man, this is such a hard question because I'm doing the same thing right now. I was refinancing my house. Like I have a, you know- No, 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 tell dollars. the story, Brandon. How did the whole okay. refi idea come up? Who was in Maui with you and told you that you should refi? <laughs> so David says I should refi. Well, what happened was I got, my lender reached out and said, hey, we can refinance your property. I was like, uh, no, thanks. I don't need to. And then I talked to David and David's like, of course you should refinance. You should do it. You'll save this much money and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I can't because of this reason. David, you helped me work through that. So thank you. That said, in that process, they were quoting me 3.125% for a mortgage rate to refinance. Uh, I was slow because it takes me forever to get paperwork together and I just wasn't in a hurry. It's my own fault. Then it went to 3.3 and then 3.5 and then 3.7. And now I'm at 3.875. That was like last week. It's probably at four now. So then the question goes back to Sean's question. If like, should we just refinance now or like, is it going to go back down again? Should I just go with it? When should we refinance? What what are rates doing? David, you are a lender, at least somewhat, right? So like you own a lending company as well. So what what are you seeing? Okay, there's two things that are affecting interest rates. And I'm saying this because I can't tell you the answer, but I can tell you like how the game is played so that you know the rules and then you can make a better decision. The first is going to be whatever bond prices are, the 10-year treasury note. And Jay, Scott, and I talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. When more people are buying government bonds, then the government can offer less interest to get that money. People typically buy bonds when they pull their money out of something more risky like the stock market. Bonds are considered safer. So the more that people are running away from stocks and into bonds, the lower of a rate that government can pay on that. Mortgage rates are tied to that 10-year treasury bond because they're they're comp- the people who invest in mortgage-backed securities, which is where uh, loans all eventually go are the same people that invest in those bonds, more or less. Their risk profile is very similar. So those two things are competing with each other for investors. So when one goes up, the other goes up. When one goes down, like imagine two gas stations across the street from each other. Mm. If you're the guy who's 20 cents a gallon more, everyone's going to your, your competition. You have to be more or less the same. All right? So that's the first thing is when you see that people are pulling their money out of stocks. They don't want to be investing in other riskier investments. They all want to put into bonds. You can expect mortgage rates to go down. 
The other factor that I said there's two levers is how busy mortgage companies get. Because when those rates hit 3.125 and I told Brandon, you should refi right now, knowing the odds of him actually having 14 days in a row to put all the paperwork together, that's going to take. <laughs> that's why it's not that Brandon's dumb. He just realized like the monumental task that that was going to be for him is because I was watching demand skyrocket. Smart mortgage brokers were hitting everyone up and saying, you should refi right now. Agents like me were seeing a bunch of people like, holy cow, rates dropped. I want to buy that house right now. My payment's going to go down $150. They got overwhelmed with applications. Now they have a problem. They either can't get them processed in time or they have to pay overtime to their employees to stay late to do it. And when they start paying overtime, the profit that they're charging goes down. When their profit goes down, now they have to raise rates to make up for that. That pushes rates high. So when they get flooded with applications that they're not prepared to handle, they have to push rates back up both to pay for the overtime and to slow down the flood of applications that they're getting. We were looking at the fact that on on the clients that I had when when lenders were that busy, it was going to be like 60 days before we could get loan approval. The lenders just could not keep up with the demand. So even when bond prices go down, if rates go too low, they're going to pop right back up again because they're going to get overwhelmed. So you have to pay attention to two of those things. If you're trying to time it perfectly... You wait for horrible news to happen where the stock market takes another huge dip and everyone says doom and gloom and the sky is falling. Money flows to bonds. Interest rates on mortgages go down. Side note, this is why when the Fed dropped the rate down to zero, that doesn't mean mortgage rates went down to zero. The Fed rate is the money that banks use to let each other borrow money. That impacts like HELOCs and private loans and stuff like that. But when they go down, you got to jump in right away because everyone else is going to be jumping in too. And if you wait too long, when they get overflowed, the, they raise the rates again. And that's kind of what happened with Brandon. So what do you think? Is it going to go up or down? It's going <laughs> to do both. It's going to be nuts like this, right? Like okay. when everybody stops, nobody's buying houses anymore. They're going to probably lower rates down again, right? Especially with nobody wanting to buy stocks. And then when we get good news, whoop, they're going to go right back up. Well, then let me ask you this question then. Kind of a, a, a different take on the question. And this might've been what uh, the, the actual question uh, was asking. I'm not sure. Is $150 a month worth refinancing over? Like, you know, like even if you're not waiting, like when is it worth the hassle of refinancing? This is a good question too. And I'm going to answer it the same way we did. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but the gentleman that was asking, should I rent? Yeah, let math do the, the answer that for you. $150 a month. If you take that over a year, that's going to be... $1,800 a year. You have to ask yourself, what are my closing costs? How much am I adding to my loan if I do this? Okay, let's say it's going to be like seven grand or something like that in closing costs you're going to be tacking on. That means you have to, it's going to be four years before you break even on that loan, more or less, right? Yeah. That doesn't include your mortgage interest deduction and all those other tiny little variables. So if you're going to stay in the house for more than four years, it absolutely makes sense to refinance it right now. If you think you're going to be moving in less than four years, then no, it doesn't. That's how you do it. You look and say, how much am I going to save a year? How much is it going to add to my principal balance? And you see, okay, this will take this many years before I break even. Am I going to own the house for that long? Well, and there's something something to keep in mind there too that I don't know if I'd call it shady, but definitely uh, an angle or marketing angle. When I see lenders oftentimes will show me the amount of money I will save by refinancing, it's largely not even because of the interest rate. It's just because they reset my loan to th- over 30 years again. I'm like, wait, I, I've been paying on this thing for nine years. I only owe 21 left on it. So of course my payment's going down. I'm going to save $150 a month, but in reality, I'm paying actually more interest over the life of the loan. Now maybe that's my goal. Maybe my goal is to reduce my ca- or increase my cash flow. So maybe spreading it 30 again is a good idea. But 
don't just assume that the lender is like, like being completely deep into an advertised loan and you're like yeah. 15 years in, 20 years in, you're actually making really big chunks of principal payments when yeah. you're deep in there. I think I just assume like most people, he's looking to refinance three years after he bought. But yeah, if yeah. you're like, you've only got 10 years to go on your loan, you're making huge, huge cuts into your principal. Basically, as a general rule, when they quote you that, say, okay, what if I, I owe 15 years left on my mortgage? If I refinance into a 15 year 15 year, note, year yeah. I always over- try to keep it the same. Yep. Yeah, what's my payment if I were to keep it exactly the same? Then you're comparing apples to apples. All right, well, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna get out of here in just a moment. Uh, this was a uh, kind of a very different but cool show. Uh, I, if you guys like these kind of shows, these call-in shows, and maybe we'll even like do a uh, do them more regularly if you guys enjoy this. So do us a favor. Let us know in the show notes of this page uh, for the show, or in the comments below the video if you're watching this. Uh, if you enjoy the Q and A, if we should be doing more of these, and uh, I want to, I want to give. Uh, Last thing we do before we get out of here is just some just final words of advice for people. So I'll, I'll start and then I'll let you, Dave, kind of like uh, close it up. But I, I just want to say this. First of all, understand, like I said earlier, like we're all going to get through this. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to stabilize, whether it's we're stabilizing on a, on a, a rocky ship or on a, a smooth sailing ship. None of us know. And I said this on the end of the last podcast. I'll say it again now is like they can't take away like the economy can't take away your work ethic. What time you wake up in the morning, how intentional you are about your goals and your days like Use this time to better yourself and to put yourself in a good position so that no matter how rocky the ship is, you're going to be fine afterwards. And don't freak out. We're going to be fine. David, what do you think? I love it. I think if there's one thing I learned in 2019, it was that I need resistance and tension and and fear because that provides it to grow. I just, I had kind of a little epiphany in my own life that when things get hard, I became very grateful because I you can't get strong without a weight to lift basically is what I learned. So this is just introducing a tiny little bit of more weight to lift. And I say a tiny little bit, not because this is a small deal, but because compared to what human beings have endured before, I mean, would you rather be in Venezuela right now with their economy in complete shambles? And no one's talking about that, right? This is a bunch of people that could get sick and come back. This is not a bunch of 18 year olds storming the beach of Normandy. That's yeah, a big exactly. deal. Okay. Like I would much rather be, Oh, I got to stay home for a month or so than the guy that had to go to war to go do that. So comparatively speaking, this is not a huge weight that I have to lift. It's going to make me stronger. The conversations that we're having, the questions that we're posing, the way our brains have to think outside the box, the grasp of real estate that we have to have to be able to make money here is improving us. And when you get stronger during these times and everything stabilizes, it feels easy. You got stronger. Now the weight that you used to lift that you were like, oh, this sucks so bad, doesn't really suck anymore. It's not bad. So you've got to have a small piece of you or a big piece of you, whatever, that runs into this and likes it, that likes that this is going to be challenging to you. And if you love growth, you're going to. You know, on that note, there's something that Justin Stamper, who, again, we interviewed earlier on the show for the first guest today, he said on my Instagram, we did an Instagram live the other day together. And he said, how did he put it? Basically, like, like difficult times like this. I think he basically said difficult times like this help bring us back to the fundamentals of business, of what we're doing. And so it's a time for us to, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in like the fads of what's working. Like, I mean, Airbnb, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but it's like, oh, this is working really well. So let's throw out the, the foundations, the fundamentals of what works. And let's just, you know, do this because it can make a lot of money or let's go build a bunch of houses. But this is a time that the, the correction is when we remember what are the fundamentals? Cash flow is a fundamental thing. Like making money, make, uh, being conservative is a fundamental thing. Like in your in your uh, finances, like the you know having enough money in reserves. 
Uh, it's easy when everything just keeps going up more and more and more. It's like, ah, who needs money in reserves? Because I'll, you know, I can get a more, I can be, my, my bank is going to only pay me 1%. I can get way more than that. So I'm going to dump all my extra cash into another deal. The fundamentals like are, are what are revealed to us in these difficult times. So uh, use this again as a learning, as a learning tool. Use this as a moment to redefine what you're looking for, what you want, what's important and uh, emerge out of this thing stronger. Boom. That would be a mic dropper if your mic wasn't on a stand and it, unable I can tip it over. <laughs> it's Mike Tipper. <laughs> Mike Tippin. <laughs> All right. If you guys enjoy this show, make sure again, leave us comments on the uh, show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 375. Uh, make sure you guys are reaching out to some of the guests that we had on the show today. Reach out to them on Instagram. You can find David here on Instagram at davidgreen24. You can find me at Beardy Brandon. You can follow Bigger Pockets everywhere at Bigger Pockets. And uh, we're going to be with you guys through this no matter what happens over the coming weeks. So stay tuned to Bigger Pockets. We'll keep doing these podcasts, uh, current conversation about what's going on. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Have a fantastic afternoon, evening, and good night. David, you want to take us yep. out? Brandon and I are committed to actually being there for you guys. I know this sounds cheesy. We talked yesterday about doing more Instagram Live and Facebook yeah. Live. So if you guys start reaching out to us on Instagram and telling us what you'd like to talk about, we will start scheduling those things and we will all get closer through this hard time of quarantine. Uh, so yeah, please do that. This is David Green for Brandon, the Mike Tipper Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.